Thanks for joining us for today's message. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working through this ministry to change lives. If you have a story to share about how God has worked in your life, then let us know by sending us an email to mystory@timberlakechurch.com. Also, if you would like to support this ministry financially, you can do so by giving online at timberlakechurch.com slash give. Enjoy the message. Uh, well, good morning again. How are you doing today? You're not really sure, are you? Well, I am doing great. In fact, I am glad that you are here. It is the home opener uh, for the Seahawks, and this is the last service, and you showed up to uh, church today, so glad to, uh, to see you here. I'm Ben. I'm the lead pastor, and uh, how many of you really think the Seahawks are going to pull it off today? You were a little too honest. You were, you were. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it's been a rough season uh, so far. But it is that season where uh, we start to uh, re-engage in things that we hadn't been uh, engaged in before when it comes to kids going back to school, uh, relationships, as uh, we sort of get back from the summer, and even uh, when it comes to church. And I know that we have uh, people from all sorts of backgrounds here at the church. About once a year I like to do this and see how, uh, just sort of where we come from when it comes to faith, uh, and that kind of thing. So how many of you uh, would say, go ahead and raise your hand, we'll do a little poll here, uh, that at some point in your life you come from uh, a Catholic background? How many of you would say that? Okay, a few of you there. How many of you are like me? Uh, you come from uh, either another religious background or no religious background. Go ahead and raise your hand. Yep, okay, that's always the biggest group. And then how many of you Baptists? Okay, yeah, okay. Uh, Lutherans? Okay, good. Hey, I actually went to the Mecca of Lutheranism. I was in Minnesota this week. Yeah, it was. I saw your people. And uh, so uh, how many of you, uh, maybe uh, Methodist, uh, Pentecostal? Yeah, you're going to raise both hands. And uh, (laughs) so uh, Presbyterian? Yeah, that's great. And first time you've ever raised your hand in church. Isn't that great? Uh, So, uh, yeah, we all come from different experiences. And these experiences inform our current reality and even our future. But the problem is, when I say something, when I say faith, when I say Jesus, when I say religion, it can mean different things to different people, because the communication process can get a little messy along the way, can't it? Uh, In fact, one thing I think uh, a church should never own is a reader board sign. And here's some of the reasons I came across these. Uh, This is one that I, uh, a new one. Yep, go ahead. Get behind me, satin. Yeah, I can see what they were trying to say there. Uh, Here's another one. Uh, We love hurting people. Pastor Steven Seagal is there, and I don't know about you, I I would want a little more than this one, Uh, Little Hope Baptist Church. (laughs) Yeah, it's going to be pretty bad, just want to let you know ahead of time. Uh, This one I thought was sort of funny, Uh, whoever's praying for snow, please stop. And then uh, this last one, prophecy class canceled due to unforeseen circumstances. (laughs) 
<laughs> it wasn't working too well for them, was it? Well, we've had it where, where we, we go through life and something that should be working well for us isn't. And uh, it can just be based on how we've experienced it. Let's say you were raised in a household and, and you had never had milk before. And you have a glass of cold milk first time, nice and creamy. You're not worried about lactose intolerance. And you have that and you're like, milk is awesome. But let's say your first glass of milk was warm and sour. You'd say, milk is awful. I can't believe anyone drinks it. They'd be stupid to drink milk. It's funny how uh, an initial experience can affect how we live something out. And how subsequent experiences can as well. In the Bible, it talks a lot about this. In fact, the Apostle Paul, uh, who God used, he was sort of anti-Jesus, became pro-Jesus. God used to write about two-thirds of the New Testament. He writes about these kind of experiences. Because he had had him himself personally. I did a, a book study about a year ago on the book of Galatians, and I excluded this section because I knew I was going to come back to it, and that's what I'm doing today. We're going to spend most of our time in Galatians chapter 5 and 6 in the Bible. If you say, hey, I'm not a Bible person, don't worry about it. It's up on the screen, and, and we have uh, the notes. We'll have all the scriptures there as well. What had happened is there was a group of people who had been living life and they, they bought into this uh, tribalistic religion. The idea is that there are all these different gods and people would sacrifice them. And, you know, it just wasn't working out for them. And they were introduced into a relationship with Jesus. And the idea is that we don't make idols, we don't make God. God made us. And God sets the terms for life. And God is not surprised by our failures or the bad stuff that happened. That God has a plan for that too. And people came in droves to follow Jesus. Yet other people came in later and said, hey, by the way, your religion, not quite good enough. You got sort of it, but it's Jesus and. Be aware of a Jesus and religion. Religion. Jesus, and you have to do this. Uh, in fact, I've talked to people even this weekend, and they've been a little challenged by that. They're like, well, I sort of believe in the Jesus and. Well, you know what? The Bible doesn't. There's uh, the Bible, by the way, when we talk about this, uh, the Scripture, I always have a Bible up here because I believe it's God's uh, inspired word to us. We don't worship the Bible, but it tells us how to know God and it tells us how to live. But it's not about the, the rules per se, it's about that relationship with God. And people had started to fall away from it. And I know that there's people here this weekend, there's people online and on our campuses, and you find yourself further away from God than you used to be. And you're wondering, how do I get back? That's what happened to the Galatians. So let's look at our first scripture. The Apostle Paul says, I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who, call you to, who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. And that, those are pretty harsh words, right? 
But there's a lot at stake. Have you ever seen people and they, they sort of base their life and their faith in something? And, and you don't want to be one of those people. You, know, you don't want to be like a, a spiritual referee calling fouls all the time. But you see it and you're like, this is not going to work out well for you. And that's what uh, the Apostle Paul is saying. That it, it's time to get back to this faith that is really transformational. What had happened is there were some people who uh, were what they called the Judaizers in the Bible. They, they were Christians, but they'd come from a Jewish background. And they were saying, oh yeah, Jesus is great, but then you also need circumcision. Which in their culture was not a big deal because that happened on the eighth day for little boys. But now there's a bunch of guys going into a membership class and saying, hey, you know what? Uh, welcome to the church. There's a little surgery that needs to take place right now. And, you know, it was not, uh, not going real well for people. And it was that Jesus and religion. This impacts so many things in our life. In fact, one of the reasons why I do a series every year I do it on theology and doctrine. I actually trick you into it. You don't even know that I'm doing it uh, because you wouldn't come if I said, hey, we're going to study theology and doctrine for five weeks. There'd be eight of you here. And I call it something like, you know, uh, frequently asked questions. I have a friend who wonders. Because it says in John 8, 32, Jesus says, you'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. See, when we know about God's design for our lives, It'll set us free. In fact, some of you, you, you are under a burden of shame and guilt because you don't know the truth of what God says about you. You don't know the truth. When Jesus went to the cross and died on a cross, he, that he paid for every sin, past, present, and future. And when you know that, that'll set you free. And God wants you to be free, free to live a life for him free to live a life. Pastor Carlos and I are doing a series based on John 10, 10, where Jesus says, I've come that you might have life and have it to its fullest. But we can only know that is if we know the truth of God and start to live in that truth. Well, what does, as we're talking about relational vampires, we're looking at religious vampires, bad religion. And that's not just other people. We can go there too, and we want to avoid that. Is that kind of bad religion, uh, number one, our first villain, it centers on rules. Don't drink or dance or chew or go with girls who do. You know, some of you were raised in uh, that environment where there's all the rules, right? And it's funny that people who like rules are often bad at keeping them. When my wife and I, we, we first got uh, married and uh, we came to agreements on certain things. We had rules. We were uh, late 20s. Uh, we got married, and so like, okay, you know, we have our life. One of the rules was if, you, if someone spends $100 or more, we have to call the other person and ask permission. That was one of the rules. And honestly, that was super helpful because our relationship go, grew so close. I heard from my wife multiple times every day. <laughs> and so it was just powerful. <laughs> Not kidding. Anyway, uh, so... But the funny thing is, so we had all these kind of rules. Here's the thing. It's 25 years later. We don't have any rules. You say, oh, what's the matter with your relationship? 
uh, we've actually built up trust over the years. We don't actually need those rules anymore. And again, I'm not saying there's not boundaries. I'm saying Scripture teaches what it teaches, and you need to take that seriously. Not suggestions in there. But it's not about the rules. There's also uh, bad religion uses guilt to control. Any of you raised in a religious environment, Christian or otherwise, that was BYOG, bring your own guilt? You had like a senior pastor, an associate pastor, an associate pastor on the staff? Uh, yeah, and, and so, so we have this, this whole thing where it's like it, it's about guilt and control. How many of you are like me? Would you admit to being sometimes a little bit of a controller? Any of you married a controller? Ask them permission to raise your hand. <laughs> yeah. So the funny thing is, do you know why we control? Fear. Control is always about fear. And trust is the essence of a relationship with God and life with God. It is also, number three, disdainful of sinners. I mean, it is. I, I, I cannot believe in this day and age some of the things that I, that I hear, and some of us would say that. And here's the deal. Just because you say it, it's okay to say, you know what, man, I've been taught to look down on people. And, and just because you grew up that way, it doesn't mean you have to live that way. It means that you can develop a heart like Jesus. You know what Jesus did when he saw a bunch of sexually immoral people, when he saw a bunch of people who are doing really heinous, awful things? You know what he did? He gave his life for them that they would find freedom and they would find hope. You say, wow, that's pretty heavy. Yeah, I know. Jesus, the Bible says, that one verse, by the way, if you watch football this time of year, which if the Seahawks don't improve, we won't be much longer. Anyway, uh, so the, uh, by faith, hopefully they'll win today. Anyway, uh, John 3, 16, you'll always see that verse. For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, that whoever believes in him will have life. And it says in John 3, 17, that he didn't send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. By the way, some of you say, oh, that's great. I know, because I don't like it when they talk about sin. No, sin is real. That's, that's real. God, no, that is real. That's why Jesus went to the cross. But don't be disdainful of people that Jesus died for. And I know, I mean, our, I love the fact that our church is, has the opposite reputation of that. But it can creep into our heart, and we can lose our passion and compassion. And I pray that never happens here. Scripture tells us it's your kindness that leads us to repentance. And that misses the point, number four where we miss the point. And the point is that we would be transformed by the power of God. And that happens in such an amazing way. In fact, it says in the book of Galatians, God sent His Son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those under the law. And get this next verse, part, that we might receive adoption to sonship. God's not, you, you are not a project of God. You're not a project of this church. God calls you into a family. 
And that our very best, we're transformed when we're part of God's family. And that has something that there's a difference in our life and we make a difference in our world when we do that very thing. Well, Galatians 5 and 6, it, uh, the Apostle Paul, he lays out this case on how do we uh, really recover from that kind of bad religion? How do we break free from it? Number one is to reject formula faith. What, what do I mean by this? It's sort of this, uh, this faith that uh, it's almost like uh, magic. I put in a prayer and then God owes me something. It doesn't, it doesn't work that way. In fact, you read in the Bible, in the book of Exodus, God, he, he takes the nation of Israel out of slavery from Egypt, and he provides for them food and direction. And you know what? Once they get in the promised land, God takes it all away. Did he not love them anymore? No, he didn't want them depending on that. He wanted them in relationship with him. I, I came across this, uh, a story of a single woman who, uh, you know, how she was like, oh, this is, you know, sort of believed in this formula of faith. And every night before bed, she'd take a pair of men's pants and lay them on her bed and pray, oh, Lord, hear my prayer. Answer if you can. I've laid these trousers on my bed. Now fill them with a man. <laughs> sort of funny. Unless we're depending on a formula of faith. It says, it is for freedom that Christ has set you free. Stand firm, and then do not let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery. Well, what does that mean? Does that mean I just sort of, hey, you know, say la vie, whatever? No, look at what it says. You, you, my brothers and sisters, were called to live free, but do not use your freedom to indulge the flesh, rather to serve one another humbly in love. And then number two, reset your internal compass. So what, here's what I mean by this, is that our compass can be, well, either it's my tradition, it's my history, it's my culture. Uh, by, by the way, I, I love the fact, you know, I used to say we had people from 50 different countries and, and just on the Redmond campus alone and then counted them up, it was at least 60 countries. No matter what your culture or background, do you know that there's part of your culture that needs to be redeemed? There's part of American culture, whatever your culture is, that is not exactly what Jesus would want. And so I need not just my family history, my cultural history, my, even my church history. Here's what the Bible says. It says Galatians 5, 6, so I say, let the Holy Spirit guide your lives. Here's, here's the problem with that. Here's why, you, here's why some of you are not going to do it and why I don't do it sometimes. Because it assaults my pride. Where I say, ah, I, I need help. Isn't that for weak people? I think that's for smart people. Max Lucado, one of my favorite authors, uh, he tells in one of his books a story where he's on a plane. And there's this boy, he gets on the plane. Uh, he had some special needs. In fact, the boy told him uh, right away. And uh, he said, hey, I get confused a lot. Will you look out for me? He also said, I throw up on airplanes. And uh, he sat right next to him. And uh, his name was Billy, Locator writes, that uh, the, the boy turned to the other person next to him and said, hey, my name's Billy, uh, I get confused a lot. If something happens, will you look out for me? And every one of the flight attendants, he stopped and said, hey, I'm Billy, I get confused a lot. 
Will you look out for me? He went to use a restroom, and on his way to the restroom, he stopped telling people. He, he stopped uh, by each of the rows telling people, hey, my name's Billy. I get confused a lot. If something happens, will you look out for me? And Locato was saying, if this plane goes down, who's going to be the safest person on the plane? <laughs> Billy! Because everyone's going to be looking out for Billy. And it, I, like, sometimes I feel like I need to say, I'm Ben, I get confused a lot. Will you look out for me? <laughs> and there's a dependence upon God that if you learn that is real strength. I've talked, you know, and I love the, you know, not only diversity of culture and race and all that, but, but of experience. I know people here who are getting their first job and who are CEOs of some of the biggest companies in the region. And what I love is no matter what the position in life, the spiritual life is always, I'm radically dependent upon Jesus. You never outgrow that. You really don't. Now, here, here's, here's the problem, is that we would rather sometimes hide than get help. I know that some of you, you're, you're going through some marriage stuff right now. Pastor Carlos is going to be leading re-engage. We've, we've already had 700 people go through it. And maybe you need to go, even go through it again. It's maybe, you know, helping your marriage get better. Or maybe you're even uh, have some trouble. And you're like, oh, yeah, I know, I just couldn't do that. And yet you'd rather go through difficulty, maybe even get divorced, than say, you know what, we need a little bit of help. If you want to get better, it is going to assault your pride. I know some of you are like, you're, you're new here. And by the way, welcome. And you're uh, new here in the last month or week or year, or you're one of the campuses, and, and, and you're you know, new to that campus or even our online community. And you're saying, oh, I just wish I had a, you know, I wish I knew someone. And then you hear the last few weeks, hey, we have growth groups. Why don't you join a growth group? A hundred on this campus alone. Why don't you join a growth group? Oh, I wish God would just provide a way for me to get to know people. Hey, you can sign up for growth groups today. Oh, where is the Lord? I need help. God is not present. Hey, today you can sign up for a growth group. We'll help you. Oh, God must not be in this place. I need a new church. You know what I mean? And the truth is, are you going to step into the transformation God has for you? Some of you are on the edge of transformation, but you need to take a step. We talk about taking your next right step. Everyone has a next step. It's going to be a next wrong step or a next right step. But are you going to step into that? I don't know what that is for you today. And, and I say this, and I, I was praying as I, as I came to this weekend. And I really, God, God, what would you have for us? And I think we're at one of those moments where a lot of us were on on, at this place, we're uh, a precipice of sorts where we're either going to go forward or we're going to go back. Maybe for you it's baptism. You've never been baptized as an adult. The Bible talks about that. And I know some of you, oh, I was baptized as a baby. That's about your parents' faith, not your faith. But baptism in the Bible, it's like I've accepted Jesus Christ, and if that's ever happened, that you'd be baptized. We don't ask you to give anything do anything, what, say anything. In fact, have you ever been to churches like that where it's like, oh yeah, we're going to have baptisms. Now Sister Elma's going to get up and tell you all her sins. And you're like, oh Lord Jesus, please help Sister Elma, or whatever. 
No. Why? In fact, ba baptism actually takes time, energy, costs us money. It's, about, it's not about the church. It's about your relationship with Jesus. Even as we launch our new campus next week, uh, another new one in Renton, please don't think this is about just an organization. The organization is important, but it is about you taking your next right step in Jesus Christ. That's the win. But you've got to step out. Maybe it's, you know, going through the membership class in a couple weeks. You say, okay, I'm going to take that step. Everyone has a step. I don't care if you've been a Christian for 48 years and faithfully followed Jesus. Everybody has a step. You might not even be a Christ follower yet. And maybe your step is, hey, I'm going to come back next week and see if this whole God thing makes sense. You know that you can belong before you believe? Everyone has a step. And you might say, well, this is just for super spiritual people, not for me. Look at what uh, the Apostle Paul says. For there is no difference between Jew and Gentile. Go ahead. And the same Lord is the Lord of all and richly blesses all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Everybody has a step. And then number three, develop grace as your first impulse. Here's what the Scripture says about that. And this is really talking to those who are already Christ followers. Brothers or sisters, if someone is caught in a sin, you who live by the Spirit should judge them harshly and gossip about them to everyone you know. You should restore that person gently, but watch yourselves or you will also be tempted. Carry each other's burdens. In this way you fulfill the law of Christ. And some of you are saying, oh, what does God want me to do? Carry each other's burdens. Well, what's Christian maturity? Carrying each other's burdens. Well, what else is it? Ah, oh, the Bible says it's carrying each other's burdens. Just because you don't like what it says, it doesn't mean it doesn't say what it says. That's sometimes the greatest sense of maturity I can have in my faith with Christ is when I say, you know what? I'm going to be there for you in a way that God, God would have for you. So you will know peace, you will know hope, you'll know friendship. And number four, always compare your actions to God's direction. And this is where uh, we, we, we don't really put on airs. In fact, I love what it says in the Scripture. If anyone thinks there's something when, where they're not, they deceive themselves. Each one should test their own actions. Then they can take pride in themselves alone without comparing themselves to anyone else. God has a role. And, and for you, again, this is, yeah, as we go through the season and the church has grown, and I, I mean, uh, yeah, home game, by the way, great to, <laughs> great to see all, uh, all of you here. Maybe for you, it's about playing your part, being on a team. Well, do I have to be that, to do that to be a Christian? No. Will you help someone else? Yeah. Will you be fulfilled? Yeah. It's, some, it's about taking a step. Say, well, I, I'm not very good with kids. Well, then don't serve with kids. Do them a favor. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't like people. Well, you're not going to be on the greeting team. And so we, you know, it just like a, a, sort of 
I just know, if you knew the people, one of the guys I know in the church uh, owns multiple restaurants, serves on the hospitality team. In, in other parts of his life, he has people who do that, but you know what? He serves every week because no one's too big or no one's too small to be used by God. It doesn't matter your past. It doesn't matter your problems. That God, God may actually not do that work you want him to do in you, in you until you say, I'm going to help other people. In fact, they're a sad story. I mean, hour before I hit the Saturday night service, heard one of the members of our congregation died in a motorcycle accident. Guy, uh, super good guy, served every week. I got to see his son and his daughter-in-law come to faith in Jesus and just, um, and, and you know, and he'd done, you know, had uh, helped build this building, sacrificed, and, you know, he had a good career and all of that, and, and there's nothing wrong. You, to succeed in your career, man, be the best person at your work. But I hadn't been on social media for a while, and, uh, but we're friends, and one of the great things is he didn't talk about all he'd accomplished in life and business. The first thing on his social media profile was follower of Jesus. And at the end of the day, we need a number five. Let your faith and begin and end with Jesus. That it's about that. There, you know, it's not about the nuances. It's about people who would show God's passion and compassion. Rodney Stark, who uh, wrote a book called The Rise of Christianity. He was actually a professor for a long time at the University of Washington uh, in Seattle, which, by the way, is not a Christian university. Did you know that? Yeah. Uh, so he was a, a professor of sociology there, sociology of religion, really well known. In fact, something interesting, when I knew him, I don't think he was really a Christ follower. Now he teaches at a Christian university. I think studying it sort of changed him, like Malcolm Gladwell, if you've ever read his books. That one of his last books, David and Goliath, he was doing research on some Christian communities. And Malcolm Gladwell, super well-known, smart, well, he, he said, hey, I've got a lot of new information. And he turned his life over and became a follower of Jesus. Rodney Stark writes about the early church and one of the plagues that uh, really devastated much of the world at the time. And he writes this. Uh, he said it was a catastrophe, a disaster. It got so bad that all the rules were out the door. Mothers and fathers were throwing children uh, out there, carts in the street before they were dead, hoping to avert the contagion. People were betraying friends, and everyone was just in it for themselves. And then afterwards writes uh, from Diocinus, one of the uh, historians of the time, in a Christian. He says, most of our brother Christians showed unbounding love and loyalty, never sparing themselves, thinking only of one another, heedless of danger. They took charge of the sick, attending to their every need and ministering to them in Christ. And when they departed this life, they did so serenely happy, for they were infected by others with the disease, drawing on themselves the sickness of their neighbors, cheerfully accepting their pains and nursing them to health. Many of their Christians took, cheerfully took on their neighbor's death by nursing them back to health and then in the process lost their own lives. It's interesting if you study the history and the rise of Christianity. And he writes this from a sociological perspective. 
that 300 years later, when Christianity became the official religion of the Roman Empire, they say that that was not an act of courage of Constantine. He was just recognizing what had happened. Because so many people were transformed, not by the religious system that was against them, not by the political system that oppressed them, but by people authentically living their faith in Jesus. Do you know what the antidote to bad religion is? Radical faith that says, God, I'm available to you. Will you pray with me? Lord, I thank you for each of my friends who are here today. God, I pray for those of us who, who we've known you, we've walked with you for a while. And God, we've somehow been deluded along the way that we don't have a next right step. And God, we would just want to be open to you and say, God, what is, what is something you want me to do today? What's something that no one else would do? God, I would be available to you. God, there's some of us, and maybe you're here and you say, hey, you know, the way I viewed other people, it's been a little disdainful. And God, I want to have your heart and your passion and your compassion. Or maybe you're here today and you say, you know, I don't know God the way you talk about him, but I'd like to. And the Bible says that all the work has been done. That God has offered us a gift of a relationship with himself. And that our part is simply to receive that. And that even in this moment today, that you can do that. And I want to give you an opportunity to do that. With everyone's eyes closed and head bowed. Give you a sense of privacy in a public place. That you'd say something like this just to God. Not out loud and I'm not going to have you come forward. You say, Jesus I want you in my life. I thank you that you love me. God, I thank you that you love me when I'm not sure if I love me. And I receive the forgiveness that you offer. And I want you to be the leader and the Lord of my life. And I want to follow you the best I know how from this day forward. And the Bible says when we pray that or, or something like it, that we are a new creation. That we've entered that relationship with God. And the scripture also says that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion. Now as you've taken that step of faith today, uh, that's very personal. The Bible says it's not supposed to be private. And again, we're not going to have you go to a special room or do anything like that. But I want to just give you the opportunity, in a sense, to go public with your faith. To say, hey, okay, I... I prayed that prayer, and here's how we do this at Timberlake. Again, with everyone's eyes closed and head bowed, even up on stage to give you a sense of privacy in a public place. But if you say, hey, I prayed that prayer to accept Jesus today, then I'm going to encourage you to take this small and simple step, that you would just simply lift your eyes to meet mine as an indication of that faith. I'm going to look to my right in your left, and you say, I, I prayed that prayer to say yes to Jesus. Just, just look up at me in this moment. And in the center section, too, you'd say, that's me. That's great. That's great. That's great. And up in the balcony, you'd say, that's my decision. Yep, I see you. That's awesome. Awesome. And over on my left, you'd say, that's the decision I'm making today. Awesome. Way to go. Way to go. 
God, I just thank you for my friends who've taken this step of faith. God, we thank you that we don't have to live from a bad experience, but God, that we can live the life that you have for us. And God, help us to walk that out. Help us to draw close to you. I thank you for my friends who have taken that step for the first time or the first time in a long time. And we pray all this in the mighty name of Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Timberlake Church Podcast. Stay connected with us by visiting TimberlakeChurch.com or follow us on Twitter or Facebook.